0: Okay. Well, afternoon, everybody. It's great to be with you. And uh, it's great to speak today. It's great to have so many visitors in the room. I'm aware as I speak that I guess for, in a room like this, we're going to have a whole range of different experience with church. Some of you are, you know, been in church for 40 years. Some of you feels like 40 years. And others of you, it's like you just, you know, this is new to you. So my hope in the next kind of half an hour, 25 minutes is that wherever you are, if you like, on that kind of journey, And we do often think of faith as a journey of faith uh, that something will be relevant to you. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen. And we are going to look at a story basically about people who are bringing children to Jesus. And I want to see what happens. Now, just as you're finding out, as a way as a quick intro, the ancient world, and we're talking about a story from, you know, 2,000 years ago they tended to view children differently to how we view them in our society and often in most, not all of the world, but a lot of the world today. So in other words, in the ancient world, children were often considered right at the bottom of the social ladder, okay? Not as so much in Jewish culture, but in other cultures especially, uh, they were like right at the bottom and not very valuable. As little people, they were sometimes even considered disposable. And it's into that kind of context that Jesus speaks in this passage. Now, I guess in our context, it's completely different, isn't it? We tend to, on the whole, think of children as valuable and precious and little people to protect, right? We may joke about them occasionally, and even sometimes parents will moan about, you know, getting up early in the mornings and broken nights and that kind of stuff, but basically we think of them as people we want to protect. So, I was, we have, uh, Sarah and I have four kids, and I told them this joke the other day about parenting, which they kind of laughed at, and then they kind of looked at me in a strange way. So, Basically, I heard a story about a family who go on an aeroplane with their two kids. Have any of you got kids and you've ever flown on an aeroplane? Okay, overnight. Any of you done that one? Come and stick your hand up in the air. Okay. I don't know how many of you ever want to repeat that experience, but it's a challenging moment for a parent. And the story goes that this family were on an aeroplane, two kids, mum and dad, and then there's a couple behind who are just there together. And as ever, these kids are like, you know, they're they're working pretty hard to kind of contain these kids on this aeroplane for this nine-hour flight. And at some point, the parents, or the, the, sorry, the, the adults behind lean forward and say to them, you know, these two, you're kids. And the mum and dad's like, yeah, there are kids. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you have two beautiful kids. And, the, you know, my wife and I would give anything to have two beautiful kids like this. And the, and the family with the kids, you know, the dad leans back and goes, oh, that's really nice of you to say, you know, do you, do you mind me asking, you're you not able to have kids, you know, what's your story? And this couple said, oh, no we have four kids. My wife and I would give anything just to have two beautiful kids like this. Okay. <laughs> now that's the kind of thing we do in our culture, right? But basically we think our kids are beautiful and people we want to protect. That was, wasn't always the way in this culture. Okay. And we're going to right into that context, we're going to read this story. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a a little child will never enter it. People are bringing children to Jesus. In fact, crowds of people come to Jesus all the time. Okay. In the gospels, crowds of people come to him and the reason they come to him is because they think maybe this guy has an answer right that's why people are coming news spreads about him and people thinking this guy is not just like one of the religious rulers who just basically tells them off his guy seems to have like words that are full of life and has power that goes with it for people to change so they are coming to him, and on this occasion, they are bringing children. And the disciples, who are like the guys in the story who get it wrong okay, again and again. By the way, the gospel is for people who get it wrong again and again and again. right? So if you have a history of making mistakes again and again in your life, you are in good company because the disciples do that again and again throughout the gospels. Their disadvantage is it just gets recorded for everyone to read, But they make a mistake. They act like glorified bouncers at a nightclub. They like form a wall and they're like, they're not coming in. Yeah, they got the wrong shoes on. They can't come in, okay? Don't let the kids. And Jesus sees what's happening and he gets involved and he says, no, 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 let them come. Don't hinder them. Let them come to me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want the children to come to me. I'm interested in the children. And the disciples are getting in the way. Okay, so this is Jesus' like A-team who have spent, you know, time with Jesus and they are getting it wrong and they are getting in the way. In effect, they're creating a hurdle for the kids. Now, whether you're a parent or not, you know, whether you work with children, whether you know any children, whether you've ever been a child yourself, okay, this is relevant to you. Let me say something that you find in this story. The Bible teaches, or Jesus is teaching, you can either help kids come to Jesus or you can hinder them from coming. We either help them or we hinder them. As a community, as a church, we either help our children come to him, and we do things which help facilitate that, or we can do things which hinder that. And in this story, as you read it through, what you find is the disciples, who should know better, but like us, often we get it wrong, get it wrong, and they create hurdles, barriers, if you like, for the kids to come to Jesus. And Jesus has to deconstruct them because Jesus is saying, let them come. So there are two particular barriers, two particular hurdles that I think they create in this moment, which for all of us in the room who have any concern about the next generation need to be aware of, particularly if you like in the community of faith. The first hurdle that you see in this story, I think is the most surprising. It's the one that you least expect to find here. And that is this. What you discover is the disciples try to stop the children from coming, not because they don't believe in Jesus. It's not unbelief, but actually they try to stop them because they become, if you like, hyper zealous. They think, in other words, that Jesus needs protecting. They've decided they're going to protect Jesus. They think that Jesus is just too important too high, if you like, to be bothered with babies and children. And the result is they create like a religious barrier in this moment, whereby only certain types of people that they decide are good enough or warrant that kind of access to Jesus are allowed in. And certainly from their perspective, children don't qualify. They become a bit abrasive, slightly aggressive, and they become exclusive now, I want to say, if you're a Christian here and you're a believer here, it's really good to be passionate about your faith. It's good to be passionate about your walk with God. I want to commend that. However, this story is not about people who are passionate. This is about a bunch of disciples who are, if you like, hyper zealous, or if you like, are misapplied in their faith. They misunderstand Jesus and what Jesus is all about, and therefore they veer into being exclusive, A bit judgmental, harsh, certainly insensitive, and they draw a line, deciding who can come to Jesus and who cannot. Okay, the church sometimes in history have done that, haven't they? We've drawn a line and we said only certain kind of people. You have to belong. You have to. You have to. You have to believe certain things, and then you have to behave a certain way. And once you've done that, you can come in. And we'll draw a line until you're allowed to do that. Jesus is saying, let them come. Don't create the hurdle. Don't get in the way. And misapplied faith, if you like, over hyperzealous faith, misapplied, can lead people to express their faith in a damaging way for other people who are not believers. Okay, so let's think about it in the world of parenting. Overzealous, let's say insensitive parents, when it comes to faith, can actually create hurdles for their kids, even though that's not their intention, but we can create hurdles for our children by trying to impose our own faith on our kids too forcefully. Okay? Have you ever noticed you cannot make someone believe what you believe? In the end, you can't impose, you can't force that on someone. And if you try to force it too hard, in fact, the opposite to what you really want happens. People are like... Yeah? It's a bit like saying to someone you know, it's trying to make someone sleep. Yeah. Or try to make yourself go to sleep. How many of you sometimes in the middle of the night are like, I want to sleep. I'll make myself sleep. How many of you find that's a really, I mean, I could say to you now, why don't you try sleeping now? Which I know is a dangerous thing for a preacher to say in church, (laughs) but none of you can do it because you can't make yourself sleep. You can do things which are conducive to sleeping, can't you? You can lie down, you can switch the lights off, you can listen to somebody else's teaching tape from church, not one of mine, obviously, and, and it's conducive. But you can't make yourself sleep. And you can't force someone to believe what you believe, even your children. Now, you can encourage them, you can facilitate it, you can pray, you can do all these things. I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a minute. And you want to do all those things. And you can do your best to bring them to Jesus, but only Jesus can do what Jesus can do right? Only he can do that. Only he in the end can encounter them. And the problem is if you go like hyper on this end and you try to force your children to believe what you believe, you try to force them into actually saying that they believe something that they may not yet be ready to say they believe is, what happens is in the end, you don't give them any space to breathe, any space to say what questions they have, any space to air the fact they have doubts, which by the way, everybody else has as well. And if you go all the way down that road, in the end, you create a child who outwardly might you know, be compliant. But inwardly, you're brewing some rebellion, potentially. And Jesus says, let them come. You don't have to protect me, Jesus is saying. Let them come. The disciples try to create a hurdle which Jesus doesn't want. They feel the needs to protect Jesus And Jesus really doesn't need their protection. It's okay for your kids to have questions about faith. Jesus is big enough to handle the questions, everybody. It's okay for them to raise questions about suffering and about how does this work, and I'm not sure if I'm happy, comfortable with that area of church. It's good for them to articulate that because it means they're thinking about it. Jesus can handle their questions. So the first hurdle that the disciples do is surprising because it's like, they're hyperzealous. And therefore they become it's like they kind of create a barrier, it becomes suffocating the children can't get through. That's the first hurdle. Here's the second hurdle that you see. This one is not so much born out of a belief that Jesus is too important. The disciples create a barrier and stop the children from coming because they think the children are too insignificant, they think they're irrelevant. To meet Jesus. As far as they're concerned, they're not worth the time. Surely Jesus doesn't want to be bothered by them. In other words, strangely, we find that their desire to stop the children is both an expression of being, if you like, overzealous in their words and in their actions and too passive in their heart. It's an expression of overzealousness and insensitivity, in one sense, and also at the same time, too passive. In their own hearts. In other words, the disciples have no expectation or faith that Jesus wants to do anything with these kids. That's one of the reasons why it's great to do today. You know, we can't impose our faith on these children, we we can't make them Christians, but we can pray that God will bless them. And the reason we pray for them is not because it's the religious thing to do, but because we really do think Jesus is interested and Jesus can do things that's why we're praying the disciples create another barrier because their lack of expectation that god wants to do something that jesus wants to do something in these kids' lives and jesus speaks right into this and says let them come bring them to me don't be passive in other words In fact, Jesus is commending the parents who are trying to bring the kids. He's saying they're doing the right thing and you're just creating a barrier. It's like, get out of the way. Now, anybody who's concerned, if you like, about the next generation, whether it's your own kids or other kids, or you work in the kids' work or the youth work here, we want to thank you if you do that, or you work in schools or or your grandpa, whatever, anybody who's concerned about the next generation, you need to hear this because the Bible talks again and again about the importance of a community of faith handing that on to the next generation. The importance and the responsibility of one generation to hand on well to the next. If you've watched the athletics championships the other day, you'll know that the British team are not good at passing the baton. Yeah, When it comes to the 4 by 100 I don't know what's the matter with those guys. they can—they got fast legs but terrible hands. I don't know what happened to them. But there's something biblical about the importance of passing the baton on. And in particular, I want to take you to a couple of passages in the Old Testament, which talks about the importance of one generation to another, and basically not dropping the baton or not dropping the ball from one generation to the next. Now, if you're not used to church, a little bit of, tiny bit of Old Testament history. Okay, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel became slaves in Egypt, and God speaks to Moses and says, I'm going to bring them out. And he, in the end, he gets a whole bunch of people out. And they come out of Egypt and they end up in the desert. And in the desert, God gives them what's kind of known as the Ten Commandments. And you can read that in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. They're both books in the Old Testament. And the Ten Commandments are like God's kind of kingdom rule about what life should look like in, under his reign. Now, the problem is they become known as, if you like, God's rules. And if we adhere to them, we please God. That's not how this is meant to be. We follow Jesus, Jesus writes those on our heart, and we live, but we live up to those expectations, but actually it's a completely different way around. But in those days, God gives them the commandments, and in Deuteronomy again and again, you get references to the commandments. Every time you get a reference to the commandment, or pretty much you get, a, you get another instruction that comes next to it. It says, "Here are the commandments. Tell your kids about your history, and tell the children about this. Teach your kids. Here are the commandments, teach your kids. Here are the commandments, teach your kids. Here are the commandments, teach your kids. Every time God refers them back to the commandments, he says, now teach your kids. Don't forget your children. Teach your children about this. So let me take you to uh, Deuteronomy 11, which will illustrate this for you, okay? So here we go, from verse one. Love the Lord your God, keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today, that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness. In other words, here's the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's a reference to the Ten Commandments. And it's remember, your children didn't see all the things that you saw. The people of Israel have been brought out through the desert Water had come out of a rock. Man had come down from heaven. The kids had not been there. And they're saying, remember, your children didn't know that story. Don't assume they know, in other words. It's one of the reasons why, if you were here last week, it was good to tell the story of the last 20 years because some of our children were not here 20 years ago. They don't know the story of this particular community. Don't assume they know. And then it goes on to say this later in the chapter. Fix these words... Of mine, in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your forehead. In other words, put them everywhere, basically. Teach them note to your children. talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, like basically all the time. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If you live in rented accommodation, I know that's more tricky, okay? So that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. What's he saying? He's saying, here's the commandment. Don't assume your kids know your story. Tell your kids. Teach your kids. Here's the commandment. Don't assume your kids know the story. Teach your kids. Here's the commandment. Don't assume your kids know the story. Now teach your kids. Again and again, you look up through Deuteronomy, you'll see the same picture. Here's the commandment, tell your kids. Here's the commandment, tell your children. Why? Because it's not just for one generation. See, what God does amongst this community is not meant just for this age group. It's meant for the ones who are to come. Jesus says, let them come. Get rid of any hurdle, anything that's going to make it difficult for them to come through. Get rid of it. Don't make things difficult. Don't put hurdles in front of them that God doesn't want in front of them. Now, if you fast forward in the Old Testament, you know, a few years, you get to a guy called Joshua. Moses brings the people of Israel out of Egypt, but Moses, and God promises that there's going to be a land they inherit, but Moses never takes the people in. Joshua takes the people into this land. In other words, Joshua takes them through the waters, they then go into a land that God has promised them, and they inherit the land. They fight battles, they win incredible victories, like phenomenal things happen, and they inherit Everything God had promised. Now you would think, would you not, at that point, everything is set up. Would you not? Because this generation have inherited everything their former generation had promised. And they've won these incredible battles. They've shown radical faith. They've been nomadic people. And they've got everything God said. But if you read in Judges 2, what you find out, the way this story unfolds, is that within one generation of Joshua, the whole thing starts to unravel. They start to turn away from God, they stop telling the story, they start worshipping other gods, and as it all starts to unravel and they put gods to the fringes of their community and their life, other nations start to attack them, other nations start to plunder, other nations start to invade, and everything they had inherited they start to lose. How does it unravel so fast from one generation who see incredible inheritance into another generation that all starts, how do, starts to be lost. How does that happen? Well, let me read you one verse out of Judges 2, and it says this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that means all of Joshua's generation had died, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. See, again and again and again, there's a reason in Deuteronomy where it says, here's the commandments, tell your kids the story, teach them now. Because a generation later, for all the victory, all the inheritance, all the buildings, all the cities they took, for all the kind of radical faith, for all the miracles they saw, within one generation, they began to lose it all because someone, someone didn't tell their kids someone never told the kids the story not someone didn't teach their children what God had done and a whole generation it says grew up didn't know God and didn't know the story of what God had done see Jesus says an incredibly significant thing let them come don't get in the way In other words, don't do church in such a way that you make it really difficult for the next generation. Don't be so committed to certain styles of church or approaches of church that the next generation really struggle to kind of engage. Don't be overzealous as a dad or a mum and force your kids to believe something that they're not quite sure they're there yet. Don't be passive either. Our job, my job, your job, if you have any concern in terms of the faith of your next generation, is to remove as many hurdles as possible and bring them to Jesus. If you like, get them into the most conducive environment, into the most conducive relationships, into the best opportunities where they stand the best chance of meeting Jesus and encountering him and let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. I'm aware in a room like this today that there are a whole range of us. Some of us, you know, we've we're, we're never been to church before. So this is all new. You're very welcome here. I hope you feel welcome. Others of us may be in the room and we're, we're searched. We've got questions. Is, could this be true? And if you're at that point and you think, I've got some questions, great. You ask every question you have. Because if Jesus is real, he's quite, he will handle those questions for you. But I want to talk just particularly to those of us, maybe especially those who are parents in the room, and you are a believer, and you have kids, and this question about the next generation is very real for you. And I want to say to you, not only don't be overzealous, over forceful in trying to impose your belief, and hopefully you hear what I mean by that, but I want to say to you at the same time, don't be passive, See, if Deuteronomy and Judges teach us anything, it's like, don't be passive. Don't be lazy about your kids and the issue of faith, about the next generation. If you never pray with your kids, I want to say you should pray with them. I've had some of the most sweet, some of the most entertaining, some of the most frankly bizarre prayer times ever with my children. We have prayed from the most... Strange things at times. People's push chairs. (laughs) But I've I've tried to pray with them. I can't make them Christians, but I'm trying to make it real and normal. If you never read the Bible with your children, then read the Bible with them. Now, you need to do that in the style that you do it in, not trying to be someone else. You You know, you may not be the we'll hold hands around the table family You might be the, we just do it in a different way, but just find a way. Don't abdicate responsibility to the kids' workers. I want to say to you, if you're serious about the next generation and their faith and their story, and yet you don't really come to church, this church or another church, you are seriously undermining their chances of coming through strongly as a Christian. You need to get into church. You need to get into a community. Your kids need to understand what it is to be part of a community of faith. Whether it's here, great. If it's not here, somewhere else. But be in, not on the edge. Be in. If you're a parent and you have a teenager, we're praying for you. No, I love teenagers. I have two of them. But we just want to say to you, you know, you want to do everything you can to get them into a Christian youth work so we have one here on a Friday night and if this is a site you attend I want to say to you you should do everything you can to help them to come here so if you don't drive and it's difficult for them to get here come on the bus with them steal a bus if you need to I don't know just if you drive you're going to have to be the taxi person every Friday night do it happily because there is more at stake than you realize because too many people drop the baton from one generation to the next. You see it right through the Old Testament, and let's not let that be our story. And if the truth is you've been a bit passive in terms of your children and faith, and that's, you know, that's where it is, I want to just say good to admit that, okay? You're in good company. People in this room make mistakes all the time, me included. But if the truth is you know, I've just been passive about it, But the root of the passivity is really actually that there's just your own walk with Jesus is pretty flat. I want to suggest you need to do something about that. You see, you can't guarantee, none of us can guarantee the children in this church or our own kids if we have kids or our our nieces or nephews or grandchildren, we can't guarantee their spiritual journey. We can't guarantee they're going to become Christians right? But I want to say to you, the the biblical principle is you stand a much better chance of raising a godly child if you are godly yourself. It's not guaranteed. You can't dictate it. I know great godly parents whose kids are struggling. And if you're there, I want to say, hold on. And you pray that Jesus, you'll do only what Jesus can do. And that doesn't define you as a parent, by the way. Okay, it does not define you because it's part of their walk as well. But you want to do, if your kid's at that age, you want to do everything you can to get them in. You see, if the issue is really that you're a bit spiritually passive and it concerns you, you sense God's speaking to you today, I want to say to you, you need to do something about it. If you're physically unfit and yet you want to get fit, just hoping you're going to get fit doesn't work very well, does it? Have you noticed this? You don't wake up one day and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm really fast, I can run six minute miles. You know, it doesn't, you don't just drift into that. You have to do something. If you're spiritually languishing a bit and you know that actually, oh, I come to church once every eight weeks and I'm oh, following Jesus, but I want to and I used to. and I, Well, then you have to do something. You have to do something. The best thing you could do, I would say, is you... I get a church, get in every week, whether you feel like it or not, and join the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is brilliant for that. You can ask any question you want, but don't just sit there hoping that it will change. You need to do something. You can't guarantee your child's faith, but you can really help them if you set them a good example. Now, just as we close, Jesus speaks right into this issue right at the end of this passage because like Jesus does, he spins everything around just at the end. So they're bringing the the children and Jesus says this, let the children come, don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. They are serious words, by the way. Jesus is saying that children are important to us not just because they're valuable, because God's DNA is stamped in them. They're made in God's image. Jesus is saying they are important because they represent to us in our community something of the nature of God's kingdom, how the kingdom of God is to be received, especially. Now, I know children don't appear always to represent anything of the kingdom of God, okay? When they wake you up at three in the morning, you know... When they come in here like a plague of locusts at the end and they, all the biscuits, they just remind you of sin. They don't remind you of God at all, okay? <laughs> but Jesus is saying there's something of the kingdom of God represented in a child, particularly in terms of how you receive God and how you come to walk with him and know him. So if you feel like, oh, I'm just languishing spiritually and I'm concerned about my kids, but I just know my then Jesus says three things to you about children. Here's three words I want to say. First of all this. Jesus says children come, or children come helpless to him, don't they? When you see a newborn, this newborn is helpless. It cannot do much for itself, if anything, because it cries a lot. If you want to come to Jesus and know him and walk with him, you have to admit that in the end you are helpless. That you don't have the answer to what you really need. And that every time you try and fix your own life, it doesn't go very well. Jesus said you have to receive it like a child. And admit you're a bit helpless. Secondly, Jesus is this: you need to come to Jesus hopeful that He is the answer. When kids come to parents and they're good parents, kids are expecting their parents will give them what they need, right? They're hopeful. People flock to Jesus because they're hopeful He is the answer. Lastly, this: you need to come to Jesus humble. Kids are really good at receiving. If I say to my kids, let's get to the sweet shop, they never go, not today. <laughs> I've never had that. We went out for a meal for one of my kids' birthdays last night. Okay, I've, we pay for it at the end. Not one of them offered to pay. Okay, Not one of them go, I'll pay today, Dad. It's fine. Okay, I know the oldest is only 15, but I was a little disappointed. But the point is they receive. They don't mind receiving. Adults, by the way, have a rule. We, we struggle a little bit to receive. You buy me a meal. I should buy you a meal. I want to pay you back. I want to pay Jesus is saying, actually, you need to come as a child, humbly admitting your need of him, hopeful that he is the answer, and just being humble and saying, I cannot pay you back, Jesus. Jesus has paid. You need to receive freely his gift of forgiveness and grace. You come as a child. Let's pray together.